Today on Let the Bible Speak. A recent national news headline raises some questions about baptism. Are some baptisms invalid? Greetings and welcome. It's good to be with you today. I hope you've had a great week and I pray you have an even better week ahead. There's no better way to start a new week than by studying and learning from the Word of God and so I'm glad you've chosen to take this time to do just that. A headline recently appeared around the nation and the world that has caused a stir among thousands of people and caused them to question their spiritual state. It involves a Roman Catholic priest in Arizona who learned that he had been performing baptisms wrongly for 20 years. A departure from Catholic teaching regarding baptism has caused the Catholic Church to invalidate thousands of baptisms performed during that time. That means to be in good standing with the Catholic Church, these thousands of people need to have the right re-administered, and it could have other impacts. Church leaders expressed concern that since these baptisms have been invalidated, it could make other church rites invalid as well. well. We'll talk a little more in detail about that in our lesson today, but it begs the question, can a person be baptized and that baptism not be accepted by God? Baptism is a Bible command and it should be taken seriously by not only the church but by every person who submits to baptism. It is not a trivial formality. It's a command of Christ and it's a fundamental step of faith putting one into the kingdom. Well, let's see what the Bible says about this matter. We, we do read of a case in the book of Acts where some people who had been baptized had to be immersed again. Why? Well, let's begin by reading the passage found in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. The record says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now here were some religious people who had been baptized, believing they were obeying the Lord. Their intentions were right and noble. The person who taught them, however, was misinformed himself and was administering baptism on the wrong basis during that time period. He was baptizing people with John's baptism, which was a baptism that anticipated the coming of the Christ and his kingdom. Now, there was nothing wrong with that during the time John was preaching and his disciples were baptizing people because at that time the kingdom of Christ had not yet come. In the case of these people in Ephesus, however, they had been baptized with John's baptism after Christ had come and given the great commission and established his kingdom rule. John's commission had expired, in other words, and Jesus had now commanded men and women to be baptized in His name. These people had been baptized with a baptism that belonged to another dispensation, and therefore, even though they thought they were doing what was right, they were taught in error, and the result was their baptism was not correct, and they had to be baptized correctly. Now, if that could happen to them, could it have happened to you or to me? 
Today we'll look to the scriptures and we'll learn about invalid baptisms after a song from the congregation. Deep within my heart today, Jesus lives and he will stay. For I heard his blessed word and gladly obey, I have obeyed. That is why I know he lives in my heart and gladness gives. For he changed me and a brand new life he made. An article appearing at cbsnews.com was headlined, A Priest Used One Wrong Word During Baptisms. The church now says thousands were invalid. The article goes on to say that the priest resigned from his position after an investigation found that he had been incorrectly performing baptisms for 20 years. The article says that, quote, As he poured the holy water during the baptisms he performed, the Reverend Andre Arango would say, We baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But according to church doctrine, he should have said, I baptize, instead of we baptize. Changing this one pronoun ended up nullifying all the baptisms he performed using that language. The bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix, Bishop Thomas Olmsted, sent a message to parishioners telling them that since it is not the community that baptizes a person, but rather Christ who presides at the sacraments, that all of those who were baptized by the priest using the pronoun we would need to be baptized again. Well, the priest and the Catholic Church say that the priest's intentions were good. He meant no harm. And after apologizing to all who were affected, they pledged to do whatever is necessary to make the situation right. Well, I'm sure this news has troubled many of the people that it directly impacts, and it has likely raised questions in the minds of many more. Our concern should be today, what does the Bible teach? That's the ultimate authority. Is our baptism valid according to the teaching of the Scriptures? And I hope you're concerned about that, and I hope I'm concerned about that. It's very important. Baptism itself is a very important thing. Any command of Christ is vitally important, and we should take it seriously. We should want to be absolutely sure that we're living in humble obedience to that command, and the command of baptism is no different. Many people downplay baptism today, though, and they don't give it the priority that the Bible places upon it. Let's quickly note some of the passages pertaining to baptism and what baptism is intended to result in. Jesus, for example, said that we make disciples by baptizing those we teach about Christ and that this step comes before we teach them anything else about following Jesus. Listen, he said in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Mark then records the Lord's commission in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, saying, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then Acts chapter 2 is the first example of this commission being carried out when Peter preached the first sermon after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Uh, when Peter convinced the Jews on the day of Pentecost that Jesus was indeed the Christ, they wanted to know what to do in order to be forgiven of their sins. So Peter responded in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul later said that we are baptized into Christ, and in so doing we put on Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. And then Peter taught in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 that just as the waters of the flood separated Noah and his family from the world of sin they left behind, so baptism marks the end of the rule and ruin of sin in one's life and a new life in Christ. It is the appeal for a clean conscience, a new beginning, if you please, before God. He says, there is also the antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism is an essential step for the person who desires to be forgiven of their sins, to enter Christ, to have a new life in Him and thus enter into the church. That's what the Bible says about baptism. So does it really matter when, why, and how we're baptized? Does it matter what the person says when they are administering baptism? Are there baptisms that are invalid in the eyes of God? And therefore, are there cases where a person needs to be rebaptized, if we might use that expression? Well, in the case of the article we cited, these baptisms were invalidated by the Catholic Church because of the wrong pronoun spoken by the person performing the baptism. Well, does the Bible make that distinction when it talks about baptism? Well, the truth of the matter is, the Bible nowhere gives an express formula that must be verbally repeated when a person is baptized. The Bible never says such. We have no examples in the New Testament of what any person said when they baptized another person. That's simply not recorded. Rather, the emphasis in the Scriptures is not upon what the person baptizing says, but rather what the person being, being baptized understands is taking place. The emphasis is not upon the person doing the baptizing, it's upon the person being baptized. Now, some point to the statements in Matthew 28 verse 19 and Acts 2 verse 38 as examples of formulaic statements that should be made at the time of baptism. And there's nothing wrong with repeating those words at baptism. In fact, I think it's a wise thing to verbally express what we're doing at the time that we baptize somebody into Christ. But notice in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus said that we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But then you turn over to Acts 2 and verse 38, and Peter told those people to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some allege a contradiction here, and they argue that one phrase should be spoken at baptism instead of the other. Uh, some baptize in the name of the triune God, while others fiercely argue that one should be only baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, actually, there's no contradiction at all. 
And both statements are true at the same time. Uh, in the Greek text, two different words are used in these two passages, and that explains the seeming contradiction. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus used the word ice, which is translated in when he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word ice is used there. Now the Greek preposition ice here means into or in the direction of. Jesus, in other words, is saying that we are to be baptized into a relationship, if you please, with the three of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, though, Peter uses the word epi, which is translated in. And the word epi doesn't mean into, it means upon. In other words, be baptized upon the name of Jesus Christ. We are baptized calling upon His name to save. They are two different statements that are both true at the same time. They don't contradict. Neither passage is referring to words spoken by the person doing the baptizing, but rather it's speaking of the action that is taking place. The fact is a preacher can say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that baptism still be invalid. Or one can say, I baptize you by the authority of Jesus Christ, or in the name of Jesus Christ, or upon the name of Jesus Christ, and that baptism still not be done by Christ's authority. The words, you see, are not what is important. It is what is being done and what is in the mind and heart of the person who is being baptized. Now, the great irony in this situation is this. The Bible never remotely addresses the use of any personal pronoun that we should or should not use referring to the person doing the baptizing when we baptize someone. The Bible never touches such a subject. But it does specifically address other things about the baptisms referred to in the article along with millions of other baptisms besides. Uh, think about this. The baptisms in question in Arizona were all administered by sprinkling or by pouring water over a person's head because that's how this religious organization and many others perform baptism instead of immersion. Many of these baptisms were performed upon babies and small children. And those baptisms were performed as a sacrament. And that word just simply refers to a rite by which some grace was automatically imparted through the rite itself, as opposed to a promise being received by faith. There's a difference in those two ideas. Now, the Bible nowhere mentions using particular pronouns in baptism, but it does very much address the right mode of baptism, the right candidate for baptism, and the right motive or reason for baptism. Let's first consider what the Bible teaches about the mode of baptism. Now, the Bible does not teach that sprinkling or pouring water over a person's head constitutes baptism, even though that's a very prevalent practice. But such is a tradition of man and not of Christ and His apostles. The word baptize itself refers to an immersion in water. Now, there's a little confusion about this because when you read the words baptize or baptism in an English translation of the New Testament, Usually you're uh, seeing a transliteration of the original word and not a translation of the original word. The Greek word that is used is the word baptizo. And that word meant to dip or to plunge. So when the 
people who spoke those words in the first century or wrote them down in the New Testament, when they used the word baptizo, they were referring to dipping or immersing someone in some element. In the case of baptism, water. It would be an accurate translation to use the English word immerse where the Greek word baptize appears. So why do we have the word baptize instead of the word immerse? Why did they transliterate it instead of translate it? Well, the King James translation, you remember, was commissioned by King James, who was the head of what? Well, the Anglican Church, which, like several other religious organizations, upholds the practice of infant baptism. Well, translating the word as immerse would conflict with that doctrine. And so we thus have the transliteration baptize, which people believe you can take to mean different modes. But the word means to immerse. That's what the original word means, not to sprinkle, not to pour. It means to immerse. Not only that, but the Bible also says that baptism pictures a burial. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. You don't bury a person by sprinkling a few clods of dirt over them. You place them under the sod. You completely bury them. This is a beautiful process that takes place in a scriptural baptism. Dying to sin, being buried with Christ as we're lowered beneath the wave, and rising to walk in newness of life. Now my question is this. If baptisms are being invalidated, or invalidated over the wrong pronoun, which the Bible doesn't even address, why aren't they also being invalidated by the wrong mode, which the Bible does address? You say, is it really a big deal? Does it really matter? Well, I remember a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 of a man who had leprosy and was told by the prophet of God to go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times in the water and God would heal him. Well, let's suppose what if Naaman had gone to the river and instead bent over and scooped up a handful of water and poured it on his head and did that seven times. Would he have been healed? I think we all know the answer to that question in the case of Naaman. We would say that Naaman disobeyed God's instruction. And the question is, why is this any different? And then you have the proper candidate for baptism. The Bible tells us who should be baptized. Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter said for people to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. In other words, the Bible only commands those who believe and those who have repented of their sins to be baptized. Babies and small children can do neither. A baby can't believe anything. A toddler has committed no sins to repent of. Now the reason that many practice infant and pedo-baptism is because they hold to the doctrine of original sin. They believe that babies are born having inherited the guilt of Adam's sin and therefore they must be baptized in order for those sins to be taken away. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus rather said, let the little children come to him for of such is the kingdom of heaven. The prophet Ezekiel taught in Ezekiel chapter 18 that the sons do not bear the iniquity of the father. You don't pass the guilt of sin along. Now being the children of Adam, we are subject to physical death because Adam brought death into the world. But babies are not born sinners with sins to forgive. 
Rather, all accountable people have committed sins for which they need forgiveness, which is why the Bible tells us to repent as a prerequisite to being baptized. Now, others practice infant and pedo-baptism not because they believe that children are sinners, but because they are the children of believers. In the 1500s, the Swiss reformer, Ulrich Zwingli, he opposed the Catholic doctrine of baptismal regeneration. But he preserved the practice of sprinkling infants. And his reasoning was essentially this. Zwingli taught that children belong to the covenant just like their parents. Now he got this idea from the Old Testament. He said that the Abrahamic covenant and its promises applies then as well as it does now. And just as adults and their children were included in the covenant and that children were circumcised under that covenant, well, so today, baptism has replaced circumcision in the New Testament and that children should thus be baptized just like their parents. There's a great difference here, though. First of all, baptism did not replace circumcision. Second, the Bible teaches that the new covenant is different than the old in many ways, but particularly in this regard. In Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, beginning in the 31st verse, listen to the prophet. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Notice, he says that under the new covenant, people would not have to be taught to know the Lord, for they all shall know me. What's he talking about? Well, you see, under the old dispensation, a Jew was born into the covenant by natural birth. He was born a child of Abraham and accordingly was circumcised. He then grew up and had to be taught of God. Today, however, we're not naturally born children of God. We're supernaturally born again as children of God. We are born of water and of the Spirit in baptism, according to John 3, verses 3 through 5. We don't have to later be taught to know the Lord. We were baptized into Christ and thus born into this new covenant because we have been taught of God. Whereas back in that old dispensation, a child of Abraham was born physically that way and later grew up and was taught the will of God. Friend, baptism is not for babies and small children. Zwingli was wrong. The Roman church was wrong and their teachings down through the centuries and the teachings of many others have led untold multitudes to believe something that simply is not taught in the Word of God. The Word of the Lord is right, however, and it teaches that those who are to be immersed are those who have come to believe in Jesus Christ and are repentant of their sins and thus are turning to Christ. It teaches that this baptism is for the remission or forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 verse 38. It is not an outward sign of an inward grace already received. It is the step of faith by which God washes away a person's sins in the blood of Jesus, saves them by His wonderful grace, declares them righteous by their faith in Christ, 
and answers their plea for a good and a clean conscience. It matters how, when, and why we are baptized. Is your baptism valid according to the Scriptures? I hope you'll give that some very serious thought today. Is your baptism what is described in the giving of the Great Commission and in the preaching of the gospel throughout the book of Acts as recorded in God's Word? I'll return with more information after another song. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. Perhaps you're left with questions today about your baptism and where you stand in regards to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd be glad to help you work through those questions by opening the Bible together. We'd love to hear from you today. If you'd like a copy of our lesson so you can go back and review it or share it with others, we're happy to provide you with a free transcript. Get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, Invalid Baptisms, and it'll be on its way as quickly as we can get it on its way. Thank you for joining us today for Let the Bible Speak. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our Facebook page. And you can find videos and transcripts also at our website, ltbstv.org. Thanks for joining me today. Hope you have a blessed week ahead. May the Lord bless and keep you until we meet again, if it be His will. Until then, have a great week. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org.
Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.